Hello and welcome to Switzer TV. I'm Peter Switzer and I'm Zooming my show because I've been locked down in Melbourne. Yep, I've been danned by Premier Dan Andrews and his five-day lockdown court when visiting my Melbourne financial planning office for the first time in 10 months because of the coronavirus. But thank God for new technology so we can keep our show going in this different format. On tonight's show, I've asked five experts to give me their best stock to buy and hold for 2021. Delivering their best idea is Adam Dawes of Shore and Partners, Julia Lee of Berman Invest, Paul Rickard of The Switch Report, Mike Gable of Fairmont Equities, and yours truly. And we'll catch up with Ying Yi and Chang of Coolabar Capital, which manages my Switzer high yield fund. I want to know what this very, very smart bond expert thinks will happen to interest rates going forward. That will have a very big bearing on what happens to the stock market. And I've got a sneaking suspicion she's going to tell me that we will be low for a long, long time, which should be good for stocks. So let's kick off with Adam Dawes. Adam Dawes from Shore and Partners, thanks for joining us. Yeah, great to be here. Great to be here. <laughs> I wish you were here with me, mate, and I was there with you. <laughs> Whatever that means, I, I'm the sick and tired of being locked up in Melbourne, but still, that's life in the fast lane. Absolutely. Uh, mate, let's just concentrate on what we've learned today from companies that have reported. What have we seen and what have you liked? Yeah, look, it's certainly, you know, this this week and next week are going to be the biggest, uh, you know, sort of weeks for us and the company reporting. Uh, there's some of the things that I've seen that have done well, and that's those companies that are lifting their dividend. And that's what investors are really, really interested in. They're really looking for that one, I guess, increased a little bit of profit, but also then lifting that dividend as well. And I think that's really done well for a couple of these stories that we potentially might talk about. Horizon Holdings, which has done well. Um, some of the other stocks, some of the gold stocks that reported today did okay as well. But look, it's, it's, it's really about that income and what they can offer to investors. Do you think this is a reflection of the fact that the economic rebound that we've seen in all the economic data is starting to show up in company profits and that's why dividends are, have been really ramped up compared to, say, six months ago? Yeah, definitely. And it, it, it's, it's the companies loosening their belts a little bit and potentially saying, look, we can afford more of a dividend now because potentially, I don't know, you probably can't see the end of it now where you are in Melbourne, but potentially they might be able to see the end of what's happening there at the moment. We're going to have these sporadic lockdowns. We're going to have these kinds of things that are going to, uh, I guess, push the market around. But it is companies potentially saying, look, we can, we can see the end of this. We're happy to offer some more income to our uh, investors. And I'm, I'm going to ask you in a moment about the, the company you like, that you think is really good company, but a good 2021 ahead of it. Yeah. Was there any a company that's reported either today or last week that you also thought, you know, is really doing better than expected? Yeah, I think there was a, you know, even I, I guess I'm, I'm really looking forward to BHP's result tomorrow. I mean, that, that, that's certainly something. And, and then obviously Fortescue and Rio later in the week. So, but I think, you know, the, the, the um, uh, Blue Scope, uh, the, the steel manufacturer, that was actually quite a good result, and I sort of I, I like that. Um, there's been a couple of others. Uh, I'd have to come back to you on some of the other ones, but I do think some of the commodity ones uh, I'm really comfortable with. 
because we know those commodity prices, Oz Minerals, those kinds of things, that copper story uh, is going to continue into 2021. So that sort of give me, gave me a little bit more comfort to hold on to those stocks. Okay, let's go to the stock that you, you think is your, the best one. Looking at what's around now and what you think might happen over the course of the year. So yeah, my top pick, and we've got a buy on that here at Shore and Partners, is Aussie Broadband. The stock code is ABB. That's probably one of the best little telcos or mid-sized telcos in the market. Now we know Telstra even today look pretty good on the market, but we know that Telstra cannot really get that market share up. You know, they've, they've done so much and they're across everything. So it's a mature market in a mature stock. Now ABB or Aussie Broadband are resellers of telco, VoIP and broadband services. But they are able then to, and you might have seen them advertise on TV, they've been doing sort of quite a large advertising campaign at the moment, but they're able then to take market share off the big incumbent providers. Mm -hmm. We know that they're going to report in the next coming couple of weeks, and that should be better than prospectus numbers. So I'm really, really comfortable with this one. It does have a small market cap, so you need to be a little bit more careful. And I thought I'd choose something for your viewers that wasn't, you know, the run of the mill sort of top 50 stocks. This is one, it did list it uh, last year at a dollar. It's currently $2.50. So there is, has been some upgrades already in the story, but I really like their service. Everybody that I've spoken to has said, it's a fantastic company. We love dealing with them. And if I get that kind of feedback from everybody that I talk to who have used that services, then I'm gonna happily buy this stock for the longer term. Are they a B2B primarily business or do they go for consumers as well? Yeah, so B2C as well. They do the, do the business to business. Mm -hmm. But one of the things, and, 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 and sort of customers as well, so no, they do both. Mm -hmm. One of the things that they're able to do, and I can't work this out just yet, they're able to provide faster broadband speeds than anybody else in Australia. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I think that my Netflix works pretty well. I can get emails and I can surf the web. I don't think I need any faster internet. But for some customers, it really the gamers, those kinds of things. But Aussie Broadband has come out and they're able to get faster speeds than anybody. Again, they've got the service, they've got that speed, and then it should do well uh, translating into profit for the company. Um, Adam Doors from Sure and Partners. Thanks for joining us, mate. No worries. Thank you. Joining us now is Julia Lee from Birmingham Invest. Julia, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Pete? Fantastic, fantastic. What are you seeing in reporting season so far? Are the companies that you've seen report that you like as a consequence of that? Uh, so far, reporting season's been really good for us. Uh, we've seen a good result coming through from Linus with the Department of Defence contract. Our Credit Corp came out with a great result, and today we saw Bendigo and Adelaide uh, shooting the lights out, so that stock was up 10% today. So it's been a, a good reporting season so far. Of course, there's lots more companies to go. There's around about 100 companies reporting this week, and there's 150 next week. So these two weeks are the most crucial, so it's going to be a, a very very busy couple of weeks with no sleep. Yeah. What was behind Bendigo and Adelaide's performance? It's been a bit of a disappointing performer of the last few years. What was the, the good part of their business? The reason I like Bendigo and Adelaide is because of its regional franchise. And I think regional Australia is doing a lot better than it has in a number of years. Part of that is we've been through the bushfires now, we've been through drought and crops are looking good as well. So there's money coming into those communities. And when you're a regional bank, what's really important is the relationship you have with the community 
community. And that's something that Bendigo and Adelaide Bank does really well. And we've seen that come through in the strength of their residential lending, which was up by more than 14%. To give you an idea of those numbers, that's 3.6 times system. So that's more than three and a half times what the market's growing at. So it's great to see those numbers. And then in conjunction to see expenses for the net interest margin rising, that's just a beautiful combination. And just to throw uh, something extra in, about 5% of the stock is shorted as well. So when you see a good result like that, you see short positions buying back stock to close out the position and buyers drive up the price. So the extra kicker coming from those uh, short sellers today. Always nice to see short sellers copper, Julia. Um, okay, let's go, go to um, another one I mentioned, Credit Corp. Now, Credit Corp to me is a, a company that is in favour for a while and things go wrong. But at the moment, everyone's, everyone's liking it and it's delivering. Is, is this the sort of stuff you can imagine keeping for a long term or do you think it's more like get in when, it, when it's a, an attractive price, write it up and get out? Sure. I guess when you look at Credit Corp, you look at what the business does and basically they buy distressed debt. So people that haven't paid their telephone bills or their gas bills or their, their, they buy those debt ledgers and then they try and work out payments plans to uh, get that money back. So they try and make a return on that. Um, one of the reasons I didn't like Credit Corp early last year was that actually COVID-19 and the lockdown of economies would have resulted in a number of, I guess, people out of work and are doing it pretty tough. But what we've seen since then is a whole lot of cash being pumped into economies by governments and central banks around the globe offering support, not only here in Australia, but in the US, which is the newest market that Credit Corp has entered into. So that support has meant that the distress ledger business actually has been quite a good one, not only here in Australia, but more importantly, the US where it is expanding quite rapidly. So um, a fantastic set of results there. And look, I think it's just at the start of its growth journey in the US. It's already a top five over in the US and it's only been in there uh, quite recently. Okay, so you're suspecting you're going to be holding this for a while, critical. Well, the stock's in an upgrade cycle. And one thing I've learned is not to sell a stock in an upgrade cycle because you end up buying it back again. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now. Let's get to the stock. I asked you to look for a stock, the best stock that you we want to hold for 2021. You've obviously, obviously already mentioned one or two, but what's the one you're going to offer tonight? Yeah, I think it's really exciting looking for opportunities in the market at the moment because there are so many that we know of. We we know that, you know, people are out spending on holidays, so car sales are going through the roof, so Nevada leases are probably doing well as well. So people try and pay for those cars through their pre-tax salary and a salary package rather than buying it outright. We know that because of that, retailers are doing well. But my number one pick for uh, 2021 hasn't changed. Um, I, I I was asked by the Fin Review at the beginning of the year what my number one pick was, and that was Linus. Now, it is already up 33% in the year to date so far. So it's up 33% in 2021. But I think this story has more to go. I think it's got a number of years to go. 
First of all, we've seen a big jump in rare earth prices, whether we look at neodymium or uh, we, we look at the other rare earths, prices have jumped. But we have a look at the last quarterly for liners. They were only at 75% capacity. So you've still got that extra ramp up of capacity to come at a time when prices are rising quite strongly. Now, their key rare earths are used for these strong magnets, which allows technology to be smaller, so smaller phones, smaller batteries. And that's why they're so uh, important to electric vehicle use. And I think that we are going to see a deficit uh, for these key uh, rare earths that go into magnets uh, this year. And that's going to continue for a number of years as that migration to electric vehicles continues. So look, I think this is really a three to five year story. What we've learned with commodities is that it's usually a boom and bust cycle. And when there's a large amount of supply, you try and get out. But the thing with rare earths is processing it is quite toxic. So I think it does require a level of trust and expertise. And with uh, Linus being the largest rare earth producer outside of China, I think it's in prime position. And, and a couple of weeks ago, we learned that they've nailed a, a contract with the U.S. Defense Defense Department. Is that right? Yes. So the Department of Defense over in the U.S. awarded a light processing facility uh, for Linus. What this allows Linus to do is more easily sell its product into the U.S. So it really gives it a, a foot in the door to try and accelerate those sales into the U.S. But hopefully what it means for Linus down the track is a heavy metal separating facility because the margins are higher uh, with those heavy metals rather than the light rare earths. So uh, hopefully this is just the beginning of, of things to come in terms of the US and just watching out to see whether we do see that higher margin, heavy uh, metal separation facility. So Julia Lee has put Linus on the line for uh, a big 2021. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Pete. And joining me now in our Sydney studio while I'm locked up in the Melbourne office is Paul Rickard from the Switzer Report. Hi, Paul. Hi, Peter. Now, I've asked you to, to look into what might be the best stock to hold for 2021. Now, I know you've got a range of stocks that you like, but you've deliberated and come up with what? Yeah, I've, I've come up with uh, West Farmers, Peter. That sounds pretty boring, but I think 2021 is all about the consumer we're seeing it in the reporting figures already coming out. And I think West Farmers is going to do really well because people have got so much money to spend. It's all going to be onshore. They're in the right industries uh, in retailing with things like Bunnings, Officeworks, uh, Target's back on fire. And I think they've made a couple of interesting acquisitions. I think even their um, Kidman uh, resources play in lith lithium could prove to be an interesting play as, uh, as that whole market takes off. So uh, West Farmer started the year just over $50. They're already up to $55 uh, at the end of or where we are in week two in, uh, in February. I reckon there's at least another $10, maybe $12. So they're not going to go up 50%, Peter, but uh, I think you could bank sort of 10 to 15%. You get a good dividend, it's a, in, and I think it's due to report well later this month. Mm. They are nicely diversified, aren't they, Paul? And, and nearly every area they're in has promise. As you said, even the lithium play, well, that's something for the next five, ten years, really, isn't it? 
Yeah, look, and they also, to their credit, I think, got out of coal probably at the right time. They sold all their coal mines. Mm. They got back into lithium. That They bought Kidman. We haven't seen that in the figures yet, and that might take some years to actually materialise before it's a real revenue generator. But a lot of people buying lithium on all the EV hype. Uh, I think the their industrials division, we forget about that. It's, uh, it's been involved in things like work and, and safety equipment. That's also done well this year because of uh, the COVID-19 environment. But so still the powerhouse remains Bunnings and we all know everyone's spending. We all know there's a lot of work going on in the home market and uh, people renovating homes because they can't go overseas. Uh, Office Works and of course Kmart and Target. And uh, look, there's a lot of money going um, onto things locally that uh, can't go offshore. So I think we're going to see stellar results, not a lot of risk. I mean, the other argument, if you want to pick a stock that's going to do well in 2021, you don't want it to go down in case circumstances change too much. I don't think there's a lot of downside risk on West Farmers. Yeah, and it's a great stock if you haven't got it in your core portfolio. Adding it now with, uh, look, it would have been great to add it on March 23 when the coronavirus was killing the market. But it's you're right, you've picked a really good solid company. And uh, yeah, I think it'll do pretty well as well. Yeah, and I hope so. The other one I thought about, Peter, also JV Hi-Fi, another one i am really been a huge fan of, that reported today, that blew away its full-year dividend estimate just with its half-year. Uh, another stellar half-year also reported a really strong sales growth through January uh, and also just showed the benefit because uh, of what it means as you're a retailer and you get sales growth is your actual margin increases because basically your cost of doing business stays fixed. Suddenly you get that many more sales on the sort of the same cost of doing business and the actual margin you make out of every sales dollar increases. And they improved their sales margins or their earnings margins by about 2%. That's why the profit went through the roof and the dividend went through the roof. So um, look, it's, it's done super well again already uh, last year and again into uh, 2021. Had a good report today, it's up today. I think there's still more upside in their stock. They are simply Australia's best retailer. Yeah, and that's the, the point that you often make. If you're gonna go into a certain sector, it's sometimes best if you take the best of breed in that sector, and that's what JB Hi-Fi is. Yeah, and I'm, but I'm as I said, I think for diversification, I'm going for for, for West Farmers, but uh, JB Hi-Fi is another one I think is a good great portfolio stock. Okay, so while I've got you there, I'd like you to you know react to my one, and a bit like you, I, I deliberate over a number of stocks. I, I like the idea of investing for my best stock for 2021 based on what's going to change over 2021. Yep. Vaccinations and the opening up of economies is going to be the, 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 the big thing of the year. It might be slower than I would have wanted. And so therefore, some of the benefits of 2021 will roll into 2022. So I'm thinking about reopening trade type stocks. The, the one that stood out to me is a quality one is Qantas. Mm -hmm. I think as soon as we start to fly, Qantas will be a great beneficiary of it. And I don't think Virgin is going to be as strong as it used to be as a competitor. So that's going to be very good for Qantas. Uh, and people will like going back to that, that quality business if they're going to fly overseas and all that sort of stuff. But I thought I'd go for something with a little bit more potential grunt. And it's a company that you and I have talked about before. It's a, it's a stock that I'm invested in. I haven't got a real lot in it, but for my diversifying part of my portfolio where I have some speculative stocks, I've got a bit of an investment in these guys. It's called Elmo Software Systems or ELO, which is a very good rock group of the 80s and 90s, I would have thought. 
But um, ELO is uh, a very good company. I like the management. I've interviewed and I've met the management mm -hmm. a few times. Um, it's now $6.37 and was $8.18 before the coronavirus. So I, I think, well, if, if it can get back to where it was in terms of its um, normal business environment, then $8.18 is, is possibly out there over the course of this year. So the coronavirus, I think, has affected this business. It's taken away business normal for it. I think business normal will creep back and it'll be good for the share price. The thing I, I'm really staggered by is, Paul, is that the analysts think there's 53% upside. And I, as I often say to you, I don't believe they're going to get it right. But even if it's half right, 20, a 20-odd percent, what, 25, 26% gain wouldn't be bad. The fund managers I run it by, they always say they like the company. I like the acquisition. They got a, a company from Britain which is really good for taking their product to small business. They've been in the mid-cap space. And, and also, I think um, that one thing that they will do over time, but you, know, you really have to be patient with, it, with a company like this. If it wasn't if it wasn't a good, good quality company, I would be actually pushing it. But I think it is something that will grow into its, its proper statue over the course of the next 12 months, maybe two years. But it's a worthwhile one. Yeah, look, I like, um, first of all, Qantas. I think you're right about the reopening trade. Um, Qantas has got to be, I think, the number one pick. Uh, look, ELO Software, um, I am also a big fan of that company. I think it's probably struggling a bit still, Peter, because the lockdown has been bad for business in the sense that it relies upon you know, HR managers you know, buying additional modules for you know, to help run not just payroll, but on a whole lot of things, you know, workforce management, KPI management, all the stuff that uh, happens in HR these days. And of course, uh, when you're in lockdown and companies just worry about costs, it's sort of one of the things they sort of put off, you know, so those sort of discretionary, well, not quite discretionary, but those, those additional um, software purchases. So that's been a little harder for it. But um, I, I think it's a good company, Peter. I mean, it's um, share price recently got back over seven, come back off just the last week or so, not really sure whether that's just part of the rotation, but uh, I've been looking for uh, a chance to buy into the company. Haven't quite found the price, but I think near $6, uh, there's certainly value there. You might have to hang on for a while. Certainly that one you could say has got a 100% upside chance. You know, that's a company that could double in price, but you have to be patient with it because it's gonna need the right market and it's a growth story. So the management has got to keep on doing what it's can doing. It's got to keep growing. That's hard when you've got yeah, companies going in and out of lockdown because, uh, but they'll get through that. So I think for the patient investor, that stock has a really good growth story to sell. Okay, it's good to see that you and I agree on that particular subject, mate. Thanks for joining us. And let's hope your best stock and my best stock actually perform well over 2021. Thanks, Peter. Well, joining me in this lockdown special from me is Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities. who's in Sydney and he's not locked down. Good to see you, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. <laughs> now, I've asked you to go looking for the stock you like for 2021, uh, a stock you think has got a lot of good upside over the course of this year. Mm. So what company have you come up with? Well, I really like James Hardy and to be honest, we've we have liked it for a while, so no new surprises there. But it's it's in some ways it's great that we're going through reporting season here because it you know gives us an opportunity to to top up or, or throw things out. And and James Hardy did report their results last week, and it's one of those results which 
just can't really find anything wrong with it, to be honest. So I know that James Hardy shares have come a long way since those March lows, but but you've got a company that still managed to to beat expectations, analyst expectations, um, net profit after tax up about 59%. Um, they've increased their guidance. Uh, they've announced a special dividend and we know how rare they they mm-hmm. are nowadays. Um, for, for our viewers, that will go ex-dividend on Thursday this week. So you need to have bought it before Thursday if you want that special dividend. So not really much to go wrong with it. Um, I think the key risk um, with the company, of course, would be if interest rates go up. But yeah, I think at the moment you could you could sort of bet that, that interest rates aren't going anywhere for a while. So, you know, this building materials company um, has exposure in, the, in Australia as well as the US. Can't really fault it. The charts, um, you know, when I look at the chart for this one, sure, it's, as I said earlier, it's not at those, it's not at a very low level where you're expecting the, a huge catch-up trade, but it's the epitome of what an uptrend should be. So it, it you know, just trades really well. Um, what it's done over the last few months is it it had traded sideways um, for a few months there to consolidate its prior move. I think maybe the market um, was looking at the currency movements and thinking that, um, you know, the decreasing US dollar might hurt the US operations. But the share price jumped up after their results last week. Um, it's holding in uh, at these levels. So I think it, it will continue to, to give us a nice sustainable move higher throughout the course of the year. Okay, so the, the charts are saying this company still has upside. Yep. On the fundamental side, you have to also say this company should be a beneficiary of um, a building boom that most people are predicting because of what you said earlier. Mm. Interest rates are low and expected to stay low for quite some time. And there's enormous demand for housing, so that will push forward demand, you know, reason to see supply increase, which of course plays right yep. into the hands of a company like James Hardy. Yeah, exactly. And and we're seeing proof of that already in their results from last week. And, uh, you know, when it comes to investing, you don't you don't have to hold, you know, three or four stocks in each sector. You know, I find that you know, if you pick the best one or the best one or two, that's all you really need to do. And if you're looking for um, stocks in the construction sec- construction area, um, building materials sector, um, in my opinion, James Hardy's the pick of the crop. They confirmed that with their results last week. So fundamentally, they're in a strong position. As you say, Peter, they've got the tailwind of the low interest rates and the increased um, construction spending. Chart looks good. Uh, at the moment, for me, it just ticks all the boxes. Mike Gable, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Well, last week, the Reserve Bank left interest rates on hold, as was expected. But a lot of people are curious how bond funds can make money when interest rates aren't rising. To talk about this, we have Ying Yi and Cheng, who's the Portfolio Management Director at Coolabar Capital Investments. Ying Yi, great to see you. Great to see you, Peter. Okay. Now, I know you live and breathe interest rates because it's really important to uh, a company like yours and what you try to do. But what are the key drivers for higher interest rates for bond markets? Yeah, good question, um, Peter. I mean, look, uh, unlikely to see, as we've you know discussed on occasions, unlikely to see higher rates for a while. 
Um, but, you know, the drivers of, you know, higher interest rates would be if we start to see inflation um, and obviously economic growth. At the moment, uh, we have a jobless rate of 6.6%, uh, and that is miles above the non-accelerating um, rate of unemployment, so which is called also known as the Nairu. So it's 4.5%, um, and we think that the RBA would be erring on trying to push that jobless rate to closer to that Nairu or even, you know, in fact, below in order to push wages growth, which will then drive core inflation. Now, if we look at the latest uh, wages growth numbers, they were 1.4% you know, annually. Uh, to really get back to, you know, that, um, I suppose, wages growth of three and a half to 4%, um, that would mean that we get inflation back up to two to 3%, which is within the RBA's, you know, target band. Um, so we really need to see wages growth, but in order to do that, we need a tighter uh, labour market, which means removing a lot of that slack that's been created since the GFC. And obviously with, you know, the great virus crisis um, that emerged last year. Mm. Uh, so we really need to get unemployment down. Okay, so uh, is it possible that, say, the level of economic growth in a year or two years time could be higher and more surprisingly higher than economists and and policymakers expected. If that yeah. was if that was the case, would the would the bond market anticipate it and start, you know, showing higher interest rates, higher yields, um, ahead of maybe central banks actually raising the rates? Well, if you look at the yield curve. Um, we've seen what we call steepening in global yield curves. So whereby the front end or in the shorter term horizon, so in the you know next couple of years, uh, rates are expected to be low. However, down the track, say in 10 years time, that 10 year government bond yield, which is pricing in you know, rate expectations uh, globally, that has moved higher than it has previously. So what we're seeing is a steepening of those yield curves. And that's because people are factoring in you know, rate hikes mm. in the future. Because we are putting in so much stimulus, whether it's in Australia, in the US and in Europe, this means that there are potential inflationary effects in the future, which means we, we could get those rate hikes. And yeah, the bond market is already pushing that. Um, but right now, it doesn't seem to be, you know, the foreseeable case in the next couple of years. Yeah. And, and so therefore, so the idea that interest rates will rise in future is yes, you agree. And now yes. let's focus in how long do you think it will be, or cool, as cool as I think it will be, before we see our first interest rate rise from the Reserve Bank and be absolutely 100% right? Yeah, I wish I had a crystal ball, but yeah. I don't. Um, and in fact, Coolabar doesn't actually take any um, bets on where interest rates will be. So any of across the 25 portfolios that we're running, um, you know, one of which includes the Switzer High Yield Fund, um, that most of them are zero interest rate duration, which means that there is no um, bet on where interest rates will be in say the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, they're 100% floating rate. So even if rates were to rise in say, you know, two years time, 
five years time or 10 years time, when they eventually do, the coupon that um, our investors will be compensated with will be also commensurate with that move higher. However, if you have a fixed rate risk or what we call interest rate duration risk in your portfolio, um, I, it's not floating rate, it means that you've locked in rates um, over a set period of time. So it's almost like if you think about it, you know, when you decide to fix your home loan, for example, you're fixing in the rate where you think that, you know, you'll get a better rate over the next, say, two or three years than whatever the variable mortgage rate will be. Um, but this is the opposite of that in the sense that we're the underlying sort of investors. So we want to get a higher yield or return um, on our investments. But anyhow, if you have fixed rate risk in your portfolio and interest rates start rising, this is where you lose out. So what we generally tend to see is that when interest rates rise, fixed rate portfolios will then sell off. Okay, so I guess my next question has really been answered. It goes, how will you make money if bond rates start to rise? And basically your point is because you go after floating rates, if the market starts paying higher returns, you'll, you'll get those higher returns. Yeah, so the, the components of how we generate returns at Coolabar is made up of, yes, the coupon, uh, which is you know a, a reflection of the risk that you're taking. So that could reflect any, well, as I mentioned, there's no interest rate duration risk in the portfolios. Um, so we get the coupon on the bonds um, and they will increase as interest rates increase. However, uh, the other component of our return and the more important component of our return is actually through alpha. Um, and we generate uh, alpha through capital gains. So we're looking for mispriced bonds that are paying too much interest after you adjust for their risk factors. So whether it be the industry, uh, you know, the term to maturity, where does this bond sit in the capital structure? What is the liquidity of the bond? And if that bond is paying too much interest after you adjust for its risk factors, then we'll look to buy that bond. And as that bond drops towards where we see fair value, the interest rate I mean, mm. then that lends itself to price appreciation. And then we sell it for a capital gain. Mm. So we're quite agnostic about the underlying yield or the coupon of the bond. However, um, you know, we, we do capture that coupon during the holding period. Yeah. So, so therefore, if, for example, a government or a, a really well-known corporation went to the market for money and the, yes. mar and the market was um, much more negative on the future of, of that government or that corporation, they, yes. would, they would have to pay a higher interest rate to get people to, to contribute to, to that bond or whatever it might be, whatever the product yeah. might be. But if you guys think the market is way too negative, then you, you then would buy that bond on the supposition that in a year's time, those same borrowers will be offering a lot less because they're not going to be as risky. That's right. And so like, you know, one of our largest uh, positions has been in the state government bonds. So, you know, the AA to AAA rated state governments. Mm. So last year, um, you know, we ha had the view that the RBA would launch QE and in doing so that they would start buying both Commonwealth and state government bonds. So the market then had a very large marginal buyer 
that drove demand for these bonds. Um, and at the same time, you know, given with all these lockdown announcements, et cetera, a lot of people, what we saw from the latest budgets was, you know, people forecasting um, much negative budgets from the state governments, so larger than expected deficits. Um, and we actually have, you know, a differing view. We actually think that the budget deficits will be smaller than expected and what net issuance we will also be smaller than expected, yeah. which means that this is a strong positive for, for the state government bond market. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that, um, you know, you'll be well aware of is how strong that housing market is. So property markets roaring back, which means, you know, higher than expected stamp duty revenue for the states. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, I, I, over the years when I've tried to pin you down and pin Chris Joy down on where you think the economy is going, you, you often, you know, say you, you don't like to predict it. But in a sense, because you, you believe that the housing sector is going to be stronger, it's going to be great for state governments. And so effectively, by implication, the economy will probably be better than what some people are expecting as well. Yeah, I mean, look, on a relative basis, the Aussie economy is should outperform, given, you know, we have extreme policy stimulus, we have high commodity prices, we have strong jobs growth and a booming housing market. So, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Now, let's go to one area that you guys got into at the, the height of the fears around the coronavirus was checking out the, the infection rates and then the... Um, the implications for, and the death rates, but infection rates were really important, but the, the idea that an economy is opening up. Now, <clears throat> infection rates around the world have been worrying. Uh, I presume you guys are still watching them. What, what's your, your latest take on infections around the world? Uh, look, we're, we're tracking them, but I think given, you know, vaccination policies around the world, uh, we're less concerned. I mean, we saw that the US numbers have been dropping as well. I mean, obviously, the the variants or the mutations around coronavirus are concerning. Um, and there's still a question mark about whether certain vaccinations will cover those mutations. But I think overall, given the the amount of research that is being, you know, put into place um, and also what we're seeing in terms of, you know, countries securing vaccinations with different pharmaceutical providers, I think is another very strong positive. So it's it's not it's not something that we're overly concerned about uh, right now. We think that we will keep on moving along and I think that governments globally will continue providing that extreme policy stimulus and they will err on the side of caution. So providing too much stimulus rather than too little this time around to support the global economy. Okay. Now, here is one argument that I have been putting out there and not necessarily saying I'm right, but, mm -hmm. I, but I do say I think this is a chance. And... I know Michael Knox from Morgan's put this out about six months ago and he said if the vaccination success is better than expected, and he wrote this in about June or July of last year, hmm. and given all the stimulus that's out there, it's quite possibly, possible we might see like a rerun of the 20th century roaring 20s once we get over the, the, uh, the threat of the coronavirus. 
Yeah, I, I would hope so. Mm. And I, I think we, we do have a lot of stimulus in the system which could get us there. Mm. Uh, so, you know, hopefully that is the case and we can, you know, move beyond coronavirus yeah. sooner rather than later. Okay. Is there anything else you think we should know about what your crystal ball, which you said you don't have, uh, what, what is the crystal ball you do have? Is there anything else you think that we should know about what you guys see in the future? Look, I think with rates so low, I, I think that the search for yield dynamic will just continue to intensify. We've already seen it. Uh, we've already seen, you know, three-year government bond yields pretty much close to zero. And as we've discussed on many occasions, this will force many investors to chase risk. So whether it be, you know, in high yielding equities or private credit or loans or high yield bonds, so sub-investment grade um, or like non-bank uh, residential mortgage-backed securities and asset-backed securities. Um, however, I think, you know, in this environment, our approach is very different. So look, fixed income investors will really struggle to generate returns with near zero yields without taking on more risk. The alternative to taking on more risk is a much more active approach, which is, as I mentioned, us focusing, so us being Coolabar, focusing on generating capital gains, not income. Uh, so, but in order to do that, uh, you need a very large team. So hence, as you know, Peter, we have 26 full-time execs, five portfolio managers, 13 analysts, very actively trading. We're typically trading at least 70 times a day between 100 to 200 million a day. So we're much more like your active equities manager than your traditional uh, hold to maturity bond fund overseen by, you know, smaller analyst teams. Well, Ying Yi, thanks for joining us in the program. Thank you, Peter. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for joining us. Next week, we will be back in the office. I presume I'll be released from Melbourne before next week. And if you like any of the ideas put forward tonight, have a look at the Switzer Report. It's a great stock picking um, product that we have. Some very, very smart stock pickers uh, work with us and analysts and fund managers and whatever. Uh, just go to switzerreport.com.au and you can have a 21-day uh, free trial. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you next week.